I feel like we're nowhere near as a collective, as organized as we should be. I think we should be doing more at bridging marketing and community building together. Yeah. I think we should be pushing the envelope more. I just think there's more potential in, in, in all of us. Welcome to the Open at Intel podcast, where we're all about open source, from software to security to innovation and beyond. I'm your host, Katherine Druckmann, an open source evangelist at Intel, bringing you leading edge, free ranging conversations from some of the best minds in the open source community. Let's get into it. I recently had a chat with John O'Bacon, a well-known expert on open source community building. We reminisced about our early days in the open source world, talked about what communities are getting right and getting wrong, and how we might realize more of our full collective potential. I had great fun, maybe too much, and I learned a thing or two. I think you will as well. So, so hey, Jono, who is only Barbara on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's an inside joke. Thank you so much for joining me. It, yeah. You know, it's we. I, I should mention that we are here actually at an event, live yep. taping, live taping in yeah. person, e I R L, uh, at All Things Open. And I really appreciate you taking some time out of what is a pretty fun but also tightly packed and short conference. Yes. To, to sit down and talk to me. No, so I'm, I'm thrilled to be it. here. Thanks for inviting me on. So. I think there may be two people or so out there who don't know who you are that are interested in open source and might actually be listening Lucky to a podcast people. like this. So I wondered if you could kind of uh, tell us kind of how you got here. I would throw out that we met a million years ago, yeah, I think. At least about a million. a million. Yeah. Because I'm starting to feel like When I you said Linux Journal earlier. I, I know. Like, back when, Remember when magazines were a thing? Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Battery-free internet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I was about to make a wildly inappropriate <laughs> joke, and I'm going to not. So, um, Go on. Well, I, I mean, where did people read magazines? I'll leave it at that. We don't even have to say. Yeah, send your answers on a postcard, too. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, <laughs> so yeah, tell, tell us who you are. Tell us the, the, whatever version you want. Yeah, so I, I got into open source when I was 18, and my brother, Simon, came home to live with us for a couple of weeks, and I was moaning about windows and he said <laughs> why are you using this is exactly what he says why are you using a quote mickey mouse operating system and he said you should be using this thing called linux now this was back in 1998 okay his description of linux vastly oversold linux at the time <laughs> right linux was pretty young in its uh, in its development but um, I worked in a bookshop at the time and I went and bought a book called slackware unleashed which I, I was still about have. to say was it slackware <laughs> slackware unleashed um, and I had a CD. And, and he, yeah, exactly. He uh, installed Slackware on my computer, and then he left. And I got home from school, and there was a post-it note with the username and password and a flashing dark star login prompt. And I was like, what is this? Uh, and that's how I got into Linux. And I bought this book, and the first chapter talked about how people from all over the world come and build this software. And I was just absolutely mesmerized by it. It sounds like such a cliche, but it was a genuine, like, life moment for me because the internet when i grew up in england in america everybody had access to the internet like you could get on for free we didn't have that in england we had well okay. that's what i was aware of in england we had to pay 10 pence a minute yeah there was like that here early on oh really yeah 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 i racked up some aol bills it's yeah. really embarrassing actually. i had a deal with my parents where i said for every minute that i'm on the internet i'll put 10 pence in this box next to the computer and at the end of the month a 280 pound bill came in and there was six pounds in the box and my internet privileges were revoked. But <laughs> I was just passionate because the internet was exciting in itself, but people building software was really exciting. 
And then, you know, so I, I, I got very active in the UK Linux community, which wasn't very big at the time. So a lot of people who now have been in open source for years, we all kind of came up at the same time, like Matthew Garrett, for example, who's been very involved in the Linux kernel. We all came up at the same time. And then I, was a, I became a journalist. I used to write for computer magazines when I left university. And then I, I went to a place called Open Advantage, which was a government-funded org in the UK that basically encouraged businesses to move from proprietary systems to open source systems. And this was in like 2002. And that where, that's where I kind of got thrown into the deep end with consulting. Uh, and then I went to Canonical and did the Ubuntu community and then XPRIZE and then GitHub. And then I started consulting full time. And I did that up until the end of last year where I basically let go of all my clients and I launched an accelerator called the Community Leadership Core. Because I saw a fault in the consulting model is, is with accountability. Like I realized that I don't create the value, my clients create the value. Like if you're a client of mine and I recommend a strategy or some tactics, if, you're, if you can't map it into your world and affect change, you're buying just meaningless words. Whereas if you understand it and you, can un and, and you can map it, then you're buying value. And most people struggle to apply those pieces. So I built an accelerator, so I'm like in the thick of it with my clients. So I launched that earlier this year. So this wow. is like the next phase of my career. So what, what, is your, what is your dream for if I talk to you a year from now? Yeah, so I'd like to get to, I'd like to have the, 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 the model baked in, like, I, you know, I, I started out in January. My goal was, was 10 members, 10 member companies. I got there by kickoff at, at, in March. And then my goal by the end of this year is to get to 30. And I'm on track to get there. By the end of next year, I'd like to get close to 100. But to me, what's more important than the numbers is that the model is completely dialed in. Like, I'm just going through this rapid iteration cycle with the live sessions we have, the operational elements of how people track their goals and how, uh, how we trigger my coaching with them. So for example, if somebody is working on something and they're blocked, if they mark that in my, in my product, it triggers a red flag for me and I reach out to them, I proactively reach out to them. So, you know, I want it to be where I just appear at the right time for them. And I want that dialed in by the end of next year, so. Fabulous. Um, so, so suffice it to say, you, you've seen things. You've seen a lot of open source community. <laughs> You've seen yes. a lot of successes and probably failures. You've seen a lot of mistakes, probably, mm. and you've seen a lot of innovation and creativity. I wondered if you could share, just you know, for those of us who <laughs> would love to benefit from all of those insights, <laughs> what, are, what are some of the most, well, you know what? Let's start with the optimistic take. What are the, what are the greatest success stories that you've been involved I, in? Yeah, I, I think there's so many that I've seen and there's obviously some that I've been involved in in my own work. And we often hear about, you know, like Kubernetes and GitHub oh. and GitLab and all the big, the big hits. I think GitLab are a particularly interesting one because I think they really, truly, fully embrace that kind of digital-centric model. Mm. In fact, this morning at the, the, at the keynotes, I was emceeing the main stage today and Martin Mikos from HackerOne was speaking. And I mentioned the words remote worker and he said, you know, HackerOne... He doesn't refer to people as remote workers. He thinks of people as everybody is, is digitally connected. When you say remote, it kind of separates people out into a different yeah, category. Yeah, no, we are which, zero which, distance. Right. And, uh, and I love that GitLab really kind of forged, forged the path forward with that. So I think they're, they're a serious, uh, a, a very impressive. But to me, it's the, it's the lesser known stories that I love, like Blender, for example, mm. you know, the 3D modeling tool. You know, that was a proprietary system that Ton Rosendahl built 
at a proprietary company, and he basically bought it off the shareholders, open sourced it, and created this huge movement around 3D uh, that's uniquely Dutch, which makes it really fun (laughs) as well. Uh, (laughs) And I just, I love stories like that as well. I think the, the work in Drupal, like we were talking about this earlier on. Gotta love the Drupal. I think Drupal has just had, like, and WordPress with, you know, what, 60,000 extensions? Word, WordPress is overwhelming success. Yeah. Yeah. Despite the perils of PHP. It's been a... <laughs> yes. As a <laughs> friend of mine who worked at Canonical once said, PHP is like letting a bus full of hackers into your data center. He, he, not a fan of PHP. But yeah, I, those to me are the kinds of stories. But for me, what I really love are, like, the personal stories. Like, um, when I... Uh, I was working in the KDE project on this ill-fated tool called Kafka, which was kind of like a, uh, a WYSIWYG um, web page builder. This is back when I was at university. And I worked with this guy who wrote a big chunk of the underlying kind of rendering engine. And he, uh, I said to him, I was like, do you want to, like, we needed to talk through some architectural stuff. I was like, why don't we get on a call? Because he lived in Sweden, I think it was. I said, can we get on a call at like 10 p.m. tonight, your time, because I'm busy until then. And he said, I can't. My mum won't let me stay up that late. Turned out he was like 12 years old. I had no idea. I love idea. those stories. Uh, and I found out later on that he went, he's had a very successful career. But he just, open source enabled him. Like, if, if open source didn't exist, that wouldn't have been possible. It would have, no. it, that would have manifested in like sports or whatever, which is great. But I love yeah. those stories. I've met so many young kids. Yeah. Who, I remember at DrupalCon a long time ago meeting this kid who was a very active contributor to many, many projects in the right. world. And he was like 11 or something. It's so cool. It's incredible. And then, you know, also people, people who have children that they've gotten involved in, in projects. I really, you know, I have a lot of respect for that. I don't have any of my own, but if I did, I yeah. like to think that I would do something similar. Yeah, for, for sure. It's such a great, like we have a 10-year-old and it's amazing watching him learn because there's no barrier to information for him. Yeah. Like when I was growing up, probably the same for you as well, it was like, if you got, like, we mentioned Linux Journal. Physical encyclopedia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember when I was growing, like, when I was like a kid, because I come from a very working class background, we had like one of the letters of the Encyclopedia Britannica yeah. that someone picked up at a car boot sale. But like, I remember like Linux Journal being imported into the UK because we couldn't get print Linux magazines back then. And it was amazing. It was amazing being able to hold that in your hand. Yeah. But now kids have no barrier to, to, to information. Yeah. It's in their pocket. Yeah. If, well, if you let them have a phone. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's a whole other he conversation for another time. <laughs> yeah, that's probably wise at 10. <laughs> I think that's smart. Um, so let's, pivoting a bit for away from the optimism. Yeah. What are, what are some really big failures? What are the things that we all really need to learn from? Uh, there's a lot in my mind. I don't think of them as, I mean, there are some like, outright failures that we've seen like I mean when you see some of these really bad incidents occurring you know I mean the stories of course of like you know harassment and things like that which are all bad citizens yeah and and that's obviously terrible and we should put a stop to that what I like to think of are the things where we should be pushing harder Mm. Um, so like I've been building communities now for 22 years and I feel like we're only doing 30% of what we could be doing. Like that's what keeps me passionate about it, is I feel like there's so much more we can be doing with building communities. I feel like we're nowhere near as a collective, as organized as we should be. I think we should be doing more at bridging, marketing, and community building together. Yeah. I think we should be pushing the envelope more. I just think there's more potential in, in, in all of us to do that. So that's like a generalized kind of 
kind of piece there. And then I do think that sometimes in open source, we're a little bit inward looking. Um, you we know, credit talking to each other and not yeah. the rest of the world. I and talked to this, I'm, this person shall remain nameless, but <laughs> I talked to this person at GitHub years ago. Uh, well, two years ago, three years ago. They were about to launch a new product. And uh, a friend of mine who was on the executive team at GitHub said, would you talk to this person? Just about get, provide some feedback in this product. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And I got on the phone with them. And he said, well, obviously everybody knows what a pull request is. And I was like... Obviously not. <laughs> you're living inside of a box if you think that's the case. It's like a massive chunk of the world has no idea how that kind of workflow operates. Like, go to like big window shops who do, where they don't operate in GitHub. Sure. And it's like... And I think I, I am not a huge fan of like that, you know, inward, like in, too in-jokey kind of like... I mean, there's nothing wrong with in-jokes, but when we assume too much... Oh, yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, you know, I say that all the time. You, when you're in something, it's so easy to lose sight of what it's like yeah. to be a, a complete beginner. Yeah. Or, or even or not a beginner, even just not know intimately the specific project you're working on. Yeah. The world is complex. Software has become incredibly complex. Nobody knows how everything yeah. works anymore. Nobody. And well, yeah, exactly. And it's like this morning when I was emceeing the keynotes and yesterday when we did CLS, I wanted to explicitly make the point for people who are new at this that you have a huge amount to offer. Because I think, you know, people will come to an event like All Things Open if they've never been here before, if they're new to open source. And all these people seem to know each other and they're all making these in-jokes. Yeah. And then you might feel like, well, I, what have I got to offer? Mm -hmm. It's like looking at that lens differently is massive. It's so massive. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Offering just any different perspective. Yeah. And also, frankly, we, we need a next generation for this yeah. all of this to be sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> a lot of... I was chatting to someone yesterday about this. A lot of people who I know are talking about retiring. And I'm like, oh, oh God. I, think we're, I think we're getting <laughs> knocking on a bit, right? Oh, no. <laughs> so one of the things that actually uh, uh, li listener feedback, a, a question I, I sourced externally. Actually, okay. From a mutual friend. Oh. Um, I'm wondering what you think about communities who are, who are getting things right and wrong. For example, which communities are doing a good job of valuing non-code contributions? And how are they doing it? Let's think. Um, I actually think Blender, I, I mentioned them earlier on, are, are, are a great example of, of people who value non-code contributions. Because people write documentation and do translations, and there's a lot of like educational content. I'd also say opensource.com when you know a couple of years ago when it was the Red Hat team kind of running that like Jason Hibbets, Jen Y. Kuga amazing contributions barely any code contributions there I mean there was a little bit but it was mostly written written material. I think there's been some amazing work in HashiCorp as well when it comes to non-code contributions and oh and definitely the CNCF like the overall Kubernetes cloud native world. You know I love meeting people like Lisa Marie Namphy, who's been very oh, involved. Yeah. You know, like with, yeah, with the, is, she, is she coming on here? Yeah. She's great. She's, she's a hoot. And you know, she, um, you know, like she's done amazing work with, with like running kind of like cloud user groups and things like that. Um, the CNCF, I think are particularly notable in that regard. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are some takeaways? Like what are, what are some things that, you know, I think people who do those kind of contributions, depending on the community again, yeah. can feel a bit marginalized yeah. and feel like they're not valued. Um, yeah, I, it reminds me a little bit of when I first got involved in open source, where if you, 
you know, if you, if you weren't a programmer, everybody aspired to be a programmer. Yeah. And even to write documentation, you had to write code because yeah. it was written in LaTeX, right? This antiquated <laughs> academic language that people with gray beards were into. Um, and one of my goals actually when, we, when, when I joined Canonical was to really create a community where coding was only one of the options. And we worked really hard to do that there. Um, but um, I do think people do feel marginalized. I think, I think a lot of people look at developers and see them as this kind of like species of people who just naturally take to code and therefore that world isn't available to them because they don't naturally take to code. So they're quote unquote relegated to docs and translations and events and stuff like that. And what I find ironic about this is most developers that I've talked to don't see it that way at all. Like when I, again, when I joined Canonical, I was quite self-conscious of the fact that when I joined, everyone, basically everybody there was, a, was one of the most well-respected open source engineers in the world. And I remember being in a pub in the South Bay, in the Bay Area, and I was a bit insecure about this. And they were, everybody was like, what? No, we need, we got plenty of people to write code. We need people to run the community and do documentation and create translations. That's what we really need. And they valued it more, I think, than sometimes people feel. So I think if people feel like, oh, you know, I'm doing docs, it doesn't really level up. Just remember that, it, first of all, it does. And secondly, I think most developers really, really respect that work because most developers that I've met are not, they don't get energy from that. They don't get energy from documentation or translations <laughs> or events or like running events. They get, they get energy from building software. Yeah. And that's why I think open source is so magical because we all bring our own energy, so. Yeah. Great. I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Um, because it's on everybody's minds. Uh, AI. Yeah. How, how does AI? I, I'm, I'm thinking about the ways that AI could potentially change the way we approach <coughs> developing in the open open source communities. Because, and here's for example, something that I was thinking about just randomly. Um, pull requests, as you mentioned, that not everybody knows about. Right? Yeah. Uh, code reviews and pull requests are there. They're, a, they're a, um, an interesting social interaction, right? Yeah. A, a well-written code review is a beautiful thing. Yeah. I have worked with people who have had so much impact on me just because of the way that they reviewed code. Yeah. And I have you know, aspired to learn how to write a review as good as theirs, right? Yeah. yeah and yeah. there's that. It's, it's a very human thing. And I wonder, as we start transitioning to all these automations and tools and code generators and, you know... Um, bots that do our code reviews for us. How does that impact the way we interact with each other to build software? Yeah. It's a great question. I mean, the way I kind of look at it is I think AI on the whole is going to be amazing. Um, I'm not too worried. I don't fall into the robot overload or right. overload You're type an AI thing. optimist. I yeah, that. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, but the reason why I'm excited about it is because going back to what I said earlier on where I think we're I think we're at 30% of our potential in how we currently build communities in open source. I think we're, there's way more we can do. Um, and it's events like All Things Open and the Community Leadership Summit, I think, which is where we, where we strengthen those muscles. But the thing that I, I'm particularly excited with AI is because I think it can take a lot of the busy work out of how we do to build communities. So for example, one of the things that you have to do a lot of when you build communities, you have to create a lot of content, right? Content pulls people in and then it nurtures people. Um, and content takes a lot of time to build. Um, and I, I see people saying, oh, you know, with AI, people are going to be creating loads of content with AI, and that, you know, that's bad. It's like, no, it isn't. 
I don't want someone spending 45 minutes writing a blog post. I want them spending 45 minutes interacting and engaging with the community. To me, it's all about leverage. Like, you know, with you, you've got a certain set of skills that your colleagues don't have. And that'll be the, you know. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Let's Should I hope. describe your facial reaction just there? It's like, <laughs> sure. what, what, me? Uh, but seriously, like you've got a certain set of skills that your colleagues don't have. And to me, those skills are the ones that you should be bringing out to the surface because it's uniquely you or it's, you know, it's less common in, in, with your colleagues. And I'd say that for everybody. Like everybody's got a certain set of skills. Sound like Liam Neeson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so everyone's got a certain set of skills that are, unique and I want them to spend more time on that like with my business for example where I am right now like I'm the only one who can sell for my business my head of member success she's not selling so I shouldn't be doing as much member success because I have to make that time available for selling as an example so to me AI I think will be great for taking things that we can do that take a lot of time and automate those things or make them much faster to produce and then the second area where it, that excites me about AI is finally being able to pour through data. Like feeding, for example, a CSV of Slack data into ChatGBT and generating insights is game changer. <laughs> and I love that because right now, getting back to the 30% of our capability, we have tools like Common Room and Orbit and things like that. But to me, those tools are great at grokking the data. But what we really need to do is figure out what are the outcomes from that data. And right now, that is capped by experience and exposure to training, right? So if somebody identifies, oh, this particular discussion in Slack is getting a lot of interest, experience and certain level of training will teach you, oh, that's great. We should test that, hypothesize why that is the case, run a series of tests, evaluate the data from those tests, and then continue to develop material based upon what we see. But now, if we've got an LLM, it can tell us what to do. And that really excites me because human beings are crappy at going through data. That's why we have tools to do it. Like we can't just look at data and derive it, uh, evaluation from it. So. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And nor do we want to. <laughs> do we no, really want to? That sucks. Absolutely I mean, no, no criticism to the data science people. But no, no, I mean, they're not. I like what you do and I don't want to do what you do. We need <laughs> you people in the world. Thank you, data science See, people. See, we all have something to contribute. Yeah, right they're the real MVP. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I just, what else are you very excited about right now in open source? There's always so much going on. I just, yeah. I, I love to see what people are really, what, what's getting you out of bed in the morning? For me right now with, I was chatting to someone yesterday and they were saying that, you know, like your career goes through like 10 year, like arcs, which I'd never really thought about. And I really, it might not be exactly 10 years, but right now, what I'm particularly excited about is going from this like one-on-one -on -one consulting model to building it out into an accelerator where it's repeatable uh, and it, again it's tightly leveraged it but as part of doing that is like really diving under the surface of where companies are in how they build great communities and unpicking a lot of the th I want to unpick a lot of the taboos so for example a lot of people uh, in DevRel are very reluctant to get involved in sales uh, sales has got a bad word it's got a bad taste People are very fearful of being asked to sell. And I think we gotta get out of that mind space. Like it's, look, if you, if you refuse to do anything to do with selling, your job is going to go away. Like, because ultimately it always comes back to revenue. Uh. But I don't think it's black and white of like, oh, you're a DevRel person or a salesperson. I think we need people to integrate together and spend more time uh, bringing their wisdom together. Like a, a DevRel 
influenced sales process is a better sales process. And I think a sales influenced DevRel helps people to solve problems in different ways. So to me, what really excites me is seeing all of these different, there's such an explosion of people building software, is seeing the patterns and then being able to create frameworks and best practices to, to guide the patterns forward and to get away from our biases. We talk a lot about bias and like race, racial bias and gender bias and all that stuff is super important. But I think there's a lot of bias when it comes to just people refusing to collaborate and spend time with other people. And I want to really move the needle on that as well. I, I, I think that's um, it's an excellent perspective. I don't, I don't think I can top that. <laughs> that's great. Hey, you know, let's create a more perfect world. Yeah, we should do. There's a lot of opportunity out there like for everyone. I like it. Well, I think we're, we're nearing the end. I don't want to take up any of your, oh. more of your time. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I've yeah. enjoyed this tremendously. Likewise. And um, yeah, I hope maybe we can do it again sometime. Anytime. There's always stuff to talk about. Call me up. I just sit around most of the day like, you know, Doritos, <laughs> The View. I don't believe that. The View. The View. Big The View fan. <laughs> I've actually never seen The View. I, I Is think it I have, but it it's good? been a long time. I love I Whoopi Goldberg. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jumping Jack Flash. Funny. Oh my God, I love that movie. Wasn't that a great movie? I, I, oh God, I'm revealing my age. I had that movie. I had recorded it on a VHS tape from like cable or something, and I wore that thing out. I loved oh, that movie. So great. Yeah. Yeah. So she's a real comedy great. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Well, thank you thank so you. much. Cheers. You've been listening to Open at Intel. Be sure to check out more from the Open at Intel podcast at open.intel.com/podcast and at Open at Intel on Twitter. We hope you join us again next time to geek out about open source. <laughs>